I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I think I'll just feel safer in a hospital. Safer? Should I name all the superbugs that you can catch in those places? It's just, it's, it's not me. I want doctors and nurses and lots of drugs. And... You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye of me. You were stronger than you think. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode drops at SBS and at SBS On Demand, and we hope you agree. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Hambly, Managing Editor of SBS Live. Hi. Hello. And Haiti Island, Content Programmer for SBS On Demand. Hi. Hey there. So, to be clear, on this episode, we're going to recap episode 11. So, if you choose to watch on SBS Australia, episode 10 and 11 have just screened. So, catch last week's podcast if you want to hear the recap of 10, because this one we're going to be doing episode 11, which is available at SBS On Demand as we speak, and you're screening in a double episode on SBS Australia. I think they work really well together, because I said last week that once you've finished watching 10, you'll want to watch 11, and... Um, 11 actually picks up right where 10 left off, which yeah. is kind of unusual. It is. Normally mm. it's a couple of months we skip ahead, but mm. no, this one right back to back. So, yeah, if we're going to bunch a couple, these are the good ones. <laughs> so we've just watched episode 11, which is called Holly. Uh, oh, I didn't realise what it was called. Yeah. Oh. So quick recap. As Serena and Fred deal with the fallout of their actions towards who they call Offred, and we get a glimpse at the cracks in their united front, June faces a series of gruelling challenges alone as she recalls her experiences as a mother. The episode culminates in an incredible scene and please just give Elizabeth Moss her Emmy right, right? now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking like the scene that got her and Yvonne Strahovski and Emmy nomination was back in the baby's room and I thought this is the episode that actually won it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not sure who she's up against but whoever she is, this is the episode that they're competing with. Yeah, need not apply. You did good work but not a patch. Um, and also the Emmy nominations actually come out just after the last episode airs so no one has been nominated yet but she's a shield. <sighs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so if it's possible, Nat, what, uh, what stood out for you in this episode? I always like try and pick the bits that are probably like small and nice and the ones that we aren't really going to pull to bits later. And for me, it was Luke and Moira in the delivery room. Yes. Um, <laughs> there was two moments in there. One when they were competing over which uh, music to play for June. And I just, and his crappy I just, playlist. Yes, and I just <laughs> love their little competition that they have and it's just like an exchange of glances. But also um, Moira's face when June was going through labour, she was like supportive <laughs> but horrified. And I was like, that's the right face. Because <laughs> she hadn't had her bub yet, had she? Yes. That was later on. Um, and Heidi, what's your moment from this week's episode? I also like to pick sort of something little that captures a nice kind of feeling or moment. So for me, it was actually the wolf. Oh, yeah, right. Because I didn't see the wolf as a symbol of a kind of looming threat. 
I kind of saw it as a symbol of protection. It's oh, did you? In a way, it's, it sort of stands over the house while she's going through the labour and the birth and it, it only leaves when she shoots the shotgun into the air and in a way dismisses it. So I kind of saw it as this little symbol of protection. Mm, liked, that's a such nice nicer that way that I saw it. <laughs> that's I a like good that. read. <laughs> we'll take that one. And for me, a few things as always, but I mean, I just can't go past that epic fight between Serena and Fred and oh, we yeah. may well tear that one apart. But oh, uh, just his exasperated comment at the prospect of being hung on the wall next to her. I thought that, that was brilliant. darkly funny. Yeah, <laughs> hate him to pieces, but good line. Good line, Fred. Don't put us on the wall! Yeah, maybe they'll hang us side by side. Just my fucking luck. All right. Well, let's get into it. This isn't epic, epic episode as they all are, but particularly this one. So there's a lot of voiceover in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and very touching in the way it sort of tops and tails the episode. Mm-hmm. So it starts with her apologising for all the pain in the story. I'm sorry there's so much pain in this story. I'm sorry it's in fragments, like a body caught in crossfire or pulled apart by force. But there's nothing I can do to change it. I Which like that. It is, yeah, mm. I like it too, especially as just recently, well, it's kind of plagued the whole series, but particularly recently there have been a couple of think pieces about why I stopped watching and yeah. it's all being called torture porn. And in last week's episode where we interviewed Dana Reid, the director of this episode, mm. you know, she touched on it as well, just sort of saying, give me a break, it's a TV show if you can't watch the news, people. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. If you can't handle a TV show, then what hope have you got? But, yeah, I quite liked that it started with this. Mm. It felt like the beginning message, the beginning opening monologue was for us. It felt like that yes. was for the viewer, which was, yeah, apologising for why this story is so dark and twisted. Whereas the one that she said at the end, yeah, that felt like a message for her daughter. Well, and it felt like a goodbye. I thought it was to the mother. Was it? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. right, I heard it is to her mum. I went back and listened and to it twice to think who was she actually talking to. Yeah. This is so okay. This is so interesting because I, it, to me, it, to me, it sounded like goodbye. And I just thought, oh, we're not going to see the baby again. Mm. Yeah, there's also this moment of letting go between June and. Her mother, you know, Mm. Holly comes back in flashbacks again this episode Mm. after having that episode earlier in the season where all the kind of baggage between June and her mother is laid out. And in a way, this is the moment when June reconciles those differences between her and her mother Mm. and can let go of all of the maybe anger that she's held against her mother. She clearly wanted her mother so much like she has, yeah. a, she has a lot of love for her mother and and when you're in labor like like the first time with Hannah she wanted her mum to be there and so she was thinking of that this time around again so I guess her mother would have been on her mind so yeah like okay this is me and the white rose again everyone I'm wrong I'm wrong <laughs> no, okay. but, but do not tweet me Holly. I think it, <laughs> yeah. I think it's both I think it is both and especially given she does give birth in this episode in an amazing way on screen um and there is, in in another flashback, her mum wanted her to have a natural birth originally and mm-hmm. so it was through that and in the end she yeah. <laughs> ended up having one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love the little line we did at Holly at the end and I, I took that as to her mum but it's both because she, she named the mm. baby after her mum. And she very specifically said, your name is Holly, which sort of echoed back to the previous episodes where their own names were so powerful because clearly Holly's going to get a different name. Serena's going to call her whatever she wants to call her. Her name is Um, Yeah, so I quite liked that moment of your name is Holly. You have a sister. Her name is Hannah. Mm. Um, But I've got to say about birth on screen, I generally hate it. Like, it's generally done terribly. It's never realistic. Any scene of like a woman in labor, I just it, it just never rings true, and I sort of really hate it when it happens. I really love this. Mm-hmm. I just thought 
they did they did it right. Yeah, so much about the depictions of birth on TV are about making it this um, horrific, fearful event beyond the purely kind of physical misrepresentations of women kind of mm. going into labour and having a child five minutes later on a train, you know, like that doesn't happen. And the baby looks six months yeah. old. But yes. there's always, there are always complications. There are always these moments where, you know, on-screen pregnancy and birth kind of just creates kind of fear in any kind of female viewing. Mm-hmm. It's such an unrealistic depiction. And, and she's I felt in hospital, like, she's always lying on her back in the position which everyone always says is kind of the worst <laughs> to give birth in. And I just really sort of liked in this episode that when June does give birth it was very primal and she was on her knees and she was naked as well and I gotta say like god I'm sounding like a a wowzer but I also hate nudity on screen like because it's generally always female nudity Mm. and it always feels gratuitous pretty much and it didn't feel gratuitous this Mm. time it just felt it just felt right and it was a moment of empowerment for her. Totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's so much pain being inflicted on June throughout this series and this labour and birth scene is is pain that's coming from her. She's she's creating it. She owns it and it's it was just this amazing scene of empowerment for me. Mm. It's funny because we, like, we do see so much birth on screen in TV shows and even in The Handmaid's Tale they've given us a few. Yeah. So, like, last week... They had the fake birth when it was the whole Gilead ritual in a white dress on a bed surrounded by women and this time it was completely different. But we also got a flashback to June going through labour with Hannah and we saw for back then she had two options. One was going to be that sort of natural birth centre Mm -hmm. option and the other one was going to be the hospital option. What I liked was that she actually had a choice, mm. whereas in Gilead there is no choice. The way that you give birth is in that room surrounded by all the other handmaids yeah. who are all, like, chanting at you. But I really liked this one where it was, I think I just said it was very it was very primal, but she was sort of, it was so realistic to me um, in that she just totally focused on the task at hand. She wasn't worried about anything else. There was there was actually no room for anything else. There was no room for a playlist. There was no room for a, <laughs> a harpist. You know, it was it was really just I need to get this baby out, which is exactly what you think. You think mm. I just need to get this baby out and this is like this is the one job you have. And I just went, oh, they really depicted that really well. Yeah. I love earlier in the episode where she finds the muscle car and she can't get yes. out of the garage. Like she's desperate to get out of the garage. Yeah. And then a couple of minutes later, the baby's desperate to get out of her. Like there's yeah. <laughs> no available exits, but then it's yeah. scrap the car. <laughs> a more pressing uh, engagement. Could that car have been any more obvious for her? Like I just thought. I love it. Yes. Yeah, so like, a wonderful, subtle vehicle to escape. Yes. Really right. in. <laughs> Who was in that house to have kept a muscle car? And tuned to um, Radio Free yeah. Mac, what it's well, called. It's Hannah's adopted well, yeah. parents, the Mackenzies, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Because you see the photo of Hannah on the on the mantle. Mm. And that's the house that, remember, Serena took June to in Series 1 to taunt her, mm. locked her in, and she went and played with Hannah and then got out. We thought it might have been a school or yeah. a who knows what, but, yeah, just a very big old house. And also I noticed I couldn't get a clear enough look at it, but when June's walking through the Mackenzie's house and she's in the office, there are maps on the wall, which mm. I was trying to work out whether those might be maps of the, you know, the state of Gilead. Mm. There were American maps and there were sort of different states coloured out and there were three maps and progressively okay. more states were coloured out in each ones until oh, all right. of America, except for Alaska, 
was uh, was coloured in. Well, I gotta go watch it again now. Thanks, Heidi. So there's like there's a few kind of <laughs> like world building um, elements that. in this episode about Gilead and what still exists of America that we hear of in the radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's get to that. So, yeah. So America still exists. So America, as we know it, has been taken over by Gilead, but America as a nation still exists, but it's in Alaska. It's in exile. And it's mm. in Anchorage. Yeah. And I was really, look, if we can just get past the fact that it's so unrealistic that she turns on the radio just and happens to hear the radio message, which yeah. is what we all need, which is an update of how the world is viewing Gilead. I love that, though. It didn't need <laughs> them to go to Canada to get. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a nice story way to, to fill us in on some blanks. It was, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. And sorry if I made. Did we spot the celebrity cameo? Yeah. Oh, I have an idea of who I think it is, but I don't know if it is who I think it is. Oprah? Yes, Oprah. Yeah. It was yeah. Oprah, right? Yeah, it is. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, Hades, Hades' face is shocked. Sorry, I've just got some, a dumbfounded expression <laughs> on my face. How did I miss this? Where, where does Oprah come in? She's the radio She's, voice. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, I missed that. It's <laughs> a little um, wobbled at first, almost like a voice modulation, but then once it gets in, that, that very distinctive pronunciation, yeah. It's I actually go. missed it on the first viewing. It was only when I went back to the second viewing that I went... Hang on a yeah. second. <laughs> I know this voice. America, broadcasting from somewhere in the great white north. And now this news. The American government in Anchorage today received promises of economic aid from India and China. In the United Kingdom, additional sanctions on Gilead were announced, as well as plans to raise the cap on American refugees relocating from Canada. Now attuned to remind everyone who's listening, American patriot or Gilead traitor, we are still here. Stars and stripes forever, baby. Yeah, I think I was concentrating too hard on trying to glean information about the state of America mm. <laughs> in what was being said to realise who was saying it. Yeah. I was going to say, if there is like one voice in America that would make you feel better. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? <gonna> <laughs> I did have you an overwhelming sense of comfort listening to that voice that <laughs> yes. I couldn't pinpoint. Yes, you get your freedom. You get your yeah. freedom. I love it. I just wanted to say when the radio rolls into the Bruce Springsteen track, it was yeah. also a wonderful moment. I think it's probably one of the more recognisable songs that has played in the series so far out of the kind of pop selection that I've chosen. And that song kind of carries so much emotional weight like for an American audience. Yeah, know, yeah. Bruce Springsteen's such this kind of symbol of like American patriotism, but also there's so much kind of political dissent in his music as well. I just thought it was a really great and choice. And he's misappropriated all the time. He's used at political rallies. Yeah. When and he always plays a protest song, yeah. not that this is what plays, but yeah, <laughs> people use his songs thinking that it's all rah-rah flag-waving, but, it, you know, it's quite critical. And Hungry Heart is a song about, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a song about a man who kind of leaves his wife and his family and leaves his home, but kind of with the sense that it's beyond his control, that he can't, mm. he can't control his actions. And mm. in a way that's kind of being appropriated here exactly. for June's situation. Yeah. And I love that it comes in again as a live version at the end. And I think the fact use of it as a live version, you know, has all that energy to it. And coming back to that idea about June addressing the audience in her monologue at the beginning of the episode. And again, at the end, mm. you know, whether it's the audience or her mother or her baby, I think, the choice to play that Bruce Springsteen song, the version of Hungry Heart in the credits where the audience is singing the song yes. and not Bruce, he only comes in later, is another kind of oh, that's um, nice. little little uh, marker that this episode is for the audience. It's a little gift for the audience. We kind of get pulled, yeah. pulled back from the series a little bit into this 
Well, she did uh, say in June. that um, opening monologue that she is trying to include some good bits, yes. you know. And, mm. Yeah, and I think the, I think the writers are as well. Generally, <laughs> it's Nick, so we kind of do need <laughs> to talk about that. Well, as out there as it is, this is a good bit for this series. Yeah. You know, like as brutal as it and confronting as it is, it's it's a good bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll take all we can get. Quite frankly. <laughs> So Nick is absolutely missing because we picked up right where we left off. Yes. What has it been, 24 hours maybe, not even? If that. Well, yeah. it's kind of moments after she's still outside, I think, when, when we open. So it's the very end of the last one, bumps right yeah, into this Yeah, we're kind of going from mid-morning through through into the night. Yeah. So they are teasing us. They We've are. only got a few left. And I was thinking, <laughs> how are they going to drag this out? And i got to say, it doesn't It doesn't actually feel like a dragging because that, <laughs> if anything deserves a whole episode devoted to it, it is... The yeah. birth, June's giving birth to yeah. her baby. Like, and it absolutely deserved it. And it, the only cutaways are via flashback. So, like, there's everyone else, like Serena and Fred mm. come in, memorably, which mm. we will get to. But, uh, you know, we don't go anywhere else in Gilead. It's We're right here. It's almost like a play. You know, it's literally mm. one location. But we're just taken away via flashback, not, not to somewhere else in Gilead. So I may have had the fact that you interviewed Dana Reed, who directed this episode, mm in my head like last week you interviewed her and she is notably Australian which we're very excited about but that may have been in my mind because this episode felt so different to all the other episodes so Mm. for a start what a gift for a director (laughs) if you do get to do one episode out of an amazing television show you get to do one that is so not only important to the story but just feels so memorable Mm -hmm. like yeah like when you tell people later on oh I directed the one where June gives birth everyone's going to know immediately which one that is because it was in the house surrounded by snow it was so different to all the other episodes yeah it's a standout in the series so far it's incredible I know and I wish I'd seen it when (laughs) I interviewed it but then you know it would have preferred if you hadn't seen it then it would have spoiled everything for you (laughs) I want to get it back on the line (laughs) because I think you did ask her whether um whether she had worked with Lydia and and really like yeah yeah she was in that so briefly um teaching the girls to breathe yeah it may have been australian connection was in my mind because like the vibes i was getting from this episode like i got some mad max vibes yeah right she was a little bit sort of imperator Ooh, especially Furiosa. the muscle car the Come muscle on. car yeah. i'm generally always about sort of character and story and i don't normally sort of pick up on camera angles and lighting but like the close up on her face the look of determination when she was in that was when she was in that car the fact that like I know good storytelling is is basically you give your character a goal and then you throw everything in their way to to make them have trouble getting to that mm. goal and Mad Max like Fury Road like absolutely was that and and here we are again we've got like June and every single time she tries to escape or do something she can't get in the door finally she finds a key she takes the cover off the car and it's the most noticeable car ever <laughs> then she can't then she can't open up the garage door and then she can't even like smash the car out of the garage yeah. door and then when she goes out of the garage and she picks up a shovel and she's trying to shovel off the ice which has crusted that garage door to the ground she ends up um, having what a labour pain and then, like, she falls over. Mm-hmm. And she to me, on the ice. There's a wolf, as we said. Yeah, that was like, um, to me, I was, like, imagining Charlize Theron when she, when she gets to the end where she, where she thought her goal was to realise that it wasn't actually there and she gets out of the truck mm. and she's kneeling on the ground and she's screaming at the sky. Mm. And then it's also this sort of spare sort of storytelling which seems very Australian to me. Like, it was just a woman, a shotgun and a wolf. Like yeah. it was yeah. just yep. 
But I, I am now going to take your view of the wolf because I was thinking that it was some sort of metaphor for the danger that was lurking beyond if she had tried to leave and get help. Mm. But I like the protection vibe a lot better. Yeah, they it's a good it, read, Haiti. They mm. leave it out there for interpretation. I choose to interpret it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Then another kind of wolf, the, the bad kind, here come Serena and Fred, and that kind of puts <gasps> paid to our theory that Fred was in on this. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. amazing, though. But Serena was frightening. Yeah. Like, as oh, she was, yeah. she, she walked in, she stormed into that house and she screamed out, oh, Fred. And mm-hmm. I just thought, you are a scary what woman. What would she have done yeah, when she found her? scary mood. Because last time... When June went missing and came back, she had shoved June up against a wall and was strangling her. Yeah. yeah. What would she do this time? Mm. No wonder June hid. No wonder June hid. And no wonder June found a rifle. And no wonder June almost had a kill shot <laughs> <laughs> of them from up high. Yeah. There there haven't been too many mo- moments where Serena's really had an opportunity to lash out yeah. in this season. A lot of her character is carried on kind of harsh words, softly spoken and yeah. close-ups. And, yeah. and I love that the location, like we're outside of the usual mm-hmm. locations. Her and Fred, the, the, you know, <laughs> the facade is gone and they are just speaking very candidly. Oh, oh yes. I love it. But this is what they do in the show where they take normal situations but they give them that Gilead twist which <laughs> is just so wrong. And so, like, Every couple has a fight like that, you know, yeah. where like you're either you're angry or you're afraid and emotions are high. You say things that you wish you didn't. But like normally couples are like saying really sort of boring stuff like, why am I always the one taking out the garbage or something? <laughs> it's not like, well, you raped her and well, you told me to. Like, like <laughs> it's just so not normal. No. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think it's one of the first, possibly the first time kind of Serena speaks her true mind, uncoded. Mm. She really kind of lets it go and admits that she has nothing, that she's given everything up and all she wanted in return was this child and now it's been taken away from her. Yeah. It's a real... And I think... It's timed the moment where she where she says, I have nothing, I have nothing, is exactly the moment when June is aiming the shotgun at both of them and it, you know, is, is the moment when she decides not to pull the trigger is that moment where Serena's showing this kind of... Who would she actually shoot if she has one shot? Who is she mm. aiming for? I was so I was so tense in that scene. I was thinking, you're going to miss. <laughs> so just, just like, don't do it. I think that might be why she didn't do it. Yeah, it was sort of like... <laughs> You'd want to be a good shot. That's all I can say. (laughs) But on what Serena said, you could easily sort of feel sorry for her there when she cries and says, I gave gave up up everything everything and all I asked for was a baby and you have failed me. And she is crying and you think, think, yeah, that's right. (laughs) But, you know, women's choices, as we say, aren't made in a vacuum. And when she said that she gave up everything what she hasn't said is she also made that choice for a whole bunch of women who didn't yeah. get that chance to choose, you know, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I'm not feeling sorry for you, lady. Yeah, in no way was I thinking, oh, poor Serena. Yeah, <laughs> no. No, not at all. Go for it, June. <laughs> Although it, it still does go into what kind of I've been arguing this whole series is that she's such an interesting, oh, she's great. bad mm. character. Mm. For me, and I think a lot of the audience Depictions of women in TV are so often very simple. They're either good or they're bad. They're Mm. virgins or they're whores. You know, there's Mm -hmm. very little complex characterization. And what's happening with Serena in the series, to me, I see echoes of the morally complex anti-hero male protagonist that was very popular 
in the yeah. noughties, you know, in the Sopranos, in Mad yep. Men, in mm-hmm. Breaking, uh, Bad. Breaking Bad was probably the, the most well known. And in this series, June is very much a hero character. You know, she has her baggage. She's got sort of a complicated relationship with her mom. You know, she mm-hmm. slept with a married man. You know, she's got some, some mm-hmm. things behind her, but nothing too serious. She's a traditional hero, whereas I see a lot of the anti-hero characteristics usually assigned to male protagonists, assigned to Serena, which mm. is, it's so great to see that in a, a female and in a villain. And it's being played again in this episode, even though she's in full scary mode and she's in bad Serena mode. It's still at play here. I think it's what you get from having a writer's room that's full of women. It's not just one woman in there and it's not just two women in there. It is like it is full of women, that writer's room. Mm. And I think that is the difference when women actually know women's stories and motivations and can actually tell them correctly in a way that rings true so yeah it helps yeah yeah the series has given us aunt lydia and serena two of the most fascinating bad characters in recent tv yeah and and it's also got eden who's you know this curiosity for us because we don't know a lot of you know you default to oh she's trouble that one (laughs) but she's also so naive that she's malleable by either side and you know she's an innocent brainwashed child as we've said that you know, innocent in inverted commas, I guess. Yeah, but um, I, I see her as a victim. Yeah, totally. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. But I was um, actually really relieved that she wasn't in this episode. Yes. <laughs> I remember saying that about Lydia earlier on in this season, whereas I love seeing Lydia now. And yeah. uh, and for me, the relief was, oh, I didn't need to see Eden this time. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> yeah, so no update on Nick. We don't know where he is. We don't know who's orchestrated this. Yeah, I guess Fred's off the table now. And well observed, we do like hearing theories on Twitter. Uh, Someone wrote in and said, it's all about power for Fred, as we know, but this whole trip of getting June to see Hannah was just to prove that he could do it because he'd Mm -hmm. been challenged Mm. and whether or not he could. So that was why he did it. That seemed like his driving motivation there, which... Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Yeah. now that we've seen Eleven play out, yeah, I'd concur with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well spotted. I'm going to stop making predictions. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) They never come come true, but why stop? And also well observed, a lot of people did spot the garage. I didn't notice that in the um, end of the last one when she did the 360. A lot of people said, oh, there's a garage. There's doors there. There must be a car. I didn't see it either. Yeah, Yeah, same. So well spotted there. I guess it's time to speculate. Where where do we think (laughs) this is going? I really don't know. Well, she, you know, fired the gunshot in the air, so help the car or help. Well, I guess (laughs) that's what I was saying. That's why I thought her final monologue was, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten the exact words now, but I thought that she was saying, it was an acknowledgement that her baby was about to be taken away from her, which was why she said to her baby what her name was. Your name is Holly. So I'm fully expecting the baby to now be taken away from June. And I think she is sort of in that scene is preparing mentally for it. Yeah. And that's why I thought that her ending monologue was an acknowledgement of that was her saying goodbye to her daughter that I hope you get out and I hope to see you. But I see now as well that that probably was actually to her mother. But that does say to me, like, you know, next episode is not going to be June in the Waterford house breastfeeding Holly. Like that is, <laughs> yeah, that right? is not, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we're probably going to get to see Serena. Yeah. Hold her, mm. hold her baby. Um, yeah. yeah. And the blush of new motherhood. Mm. She wants it so badly and she's always thought that she's a better mother than um, Angela's mother. But nothing tests you like a newborn. <laughs> I'm kind of, um, there is totally a sideshow in, um, in just how Serena handles motherhood. 
I don't think it's going to be pretty, but... I think we're going to see Lydia. I think this is where um, Dana Reed's episode is going to have a lot more Lydia. Like, she'll be there when a new baby's born. Yeah. She's, she comes around. Mm. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that at least. But what happens to June? She's so disposable. Yeah. But, will, yeah, will they... Will Serena relent a little bit in that, you know, she didn't run away, but, uh, you know, she stayed there to give birth. Mm. Mind you, she tried to get away but just couldn't, <laughs> but Serena doesn't need to know that. I remember reading an interview with Amanda Bruegel much earlier in the season, the actress who plays Rita, and there was a comment she made that by the end of season two, Rita would make her allegiances known in a kind of big way. And so I've kind of been waiting for this moment where Rita, you know, comes Mm. through with the goods. I feel like she's been sitting in the background for a long time. Absolutely. I know. And she's going to have her moment. moment. So I think we're going to be back in the Waterford's house and I think there's going to be something happen with Rita, something big. Something big I would like, yeah, because we've had moments between she and June, you know, she's saying, I'll tell your child about you. But, yeah, she needs needs her moment Mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I see that coming. Mm. What do you think, Fiona? Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously them coming back in the car. Part of me thinks has Nick commandeered a vehicle somewhere and may come, but that's not going to happen. Um, no, it's de- yeah, we have absolutely have to get back to the Waterford house mm-hmm. to uh, a see Serena cuddling a newborn. Fred have a conversation with June about having orchestrated all this in some way. It was so open in, in this episode that the baby is not Fred's. Oh yeah, like I know that it's been said to him in the past, but it's always mm. has felt like. Like it's a bit coded in the way it's been said. Yeah, and almost like it was more said to punish him rather than to reveal a truth. Mm. Whereas it mm. really felt acknowledged in this episode that this, that that baby is absolutely not his. <laughs> Serena left no doubt whatsoever yeah, right? in his mind, and we got that line, that line I've been waiting for. Yeah. If uh, if you'd shown them, I was that girl one out. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so proud. Um, yes, and with Holly Senior, <laughs> June's mum. You know, we last saw that photo of her in the colonies. Mm. Could she have lasted this long in the colonies? Because, you know, in reading the epilogue of this episode, um, June alludes to, I might, if I ever get to see you in the future or in heaven, you know, she's acknowledging she's probably dead by now. But is there a chance she may have held on in the colonies? I don't know. If Mm. anything we know about June's mother is that she's absolutely dedicated to the cause. She is a real fighter. Hey, this is a woman who said that she didn't want to have any pain relief in birth because she wanted to feel every moment, you know. Like she does not shy away from a challenge. Yeah. Um, I just kind of I just sort of can't imagine her just in the colonies just sort of going along with things. I just feel like no matter where she goes, she's making a rustle, like, sorry, a ruckus. Like she would be totally trying to change things somehow, banding together a group of activists. Mm. Like mm. it would be so disappointing to, to build up the knowledge of the character that we have just to find out that, She's died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I no, did come on, make some change. I did feel like in naming her baby Holly, June sort of making peace with the memory of her mother and in a way that's a letting go in the story that I feel like it would make sense if we don't see Holly again. Holly You're making me sad Holly now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It it kind of felt like a moment of closure to me. Yeah. The name Holly is also an interesting choice in the series because, you know, Holly is a plant that flowers through winter that's green. It's a it's used as a Christmas plant in yeah, parts of the world. And it's also it's, it's also stiff. considered a bit of a weed, you know, it will grow up and grow through things and it's brambling it's and spiky. And and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. in contrast to um Serena tending her very kind of groomed and prim and proper roses in her greenhouse. It's it's a nice kind of botanical 
contrast. <laughs> I do. I've got to say, I do actually love that house. I am a, I am a bit of a, a gardener. I'm not, not a very good one, but I do enjoy it. Every single time I see the Waterford household, I'm like, oh, I want to have a greenhouse. <laughs> I don't want to live anywhere cold enough that would need a greenhouse. That's one of my, like, one of the kind of weird things that I liked about this episode. And, and as, as I said, it's not the typical stuff that I pick up, but I really liked the sound. Yes. I liked the sound of the snow crunching underneath June's boots because I do, I'm also a skier, so I quite, I quite like the sound of snow. It, all, it just means good things to me. But the way they also overlaid the sound on the pictures. So when June was in labour, she was screaming, but it was the present day screaming, which was sort of overlaid on the flashback mm. screaming. And yep. I just thought they, they have just done everything here so nicely. And this is such an episode. There's not a lot of dialogue. So it really is about the score. And it was also beautiful. And I just thought, oh, they've like, you know, I really actually noticed it this time. Normally, normally I don't. But this yeah. time I thought this is actually really well done. Yeah. And More it, awards. I know all the awards. Yeah. And the sound on that, you know, the, the stomping through the big empty house and like, picking jackets off racks and um, the car. I'm a car nut. And yeah, just like, <laughs> A, that beautiful old muscle car started first pop, which means that someone has been cultivating that and um, starting it up because you've got to start up <laughs> old cars regularly. <laughs> and the seamless movement from, you know, Bruce Springsteen pop songs to kind of almost religiously choral um, music mm-hmm. in the birth scene yes. to the kind of uh, orchestral Handmaid's Tale theme songs that, that come in and out sort of beautifully, seamlessly joined together. I also liked the many contrasting fucks that June lets out in this episode, you know, like <laughs> from the, you know, the, the, the fuck it kind of mentality of the last couple of episodes to, you know, falling on the ground and, and whispering, you know, fuck not now, baby, yeah, outside yeah, before she's about to go into labour to the hilarious, hilarious flashback to the, the birth of oh, Hannah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Where she's uh, she's really enthusiastic about Luke putting on his pop music, and then as she goes into a contraction, she's like, "Fuck, I hate this song. Fuck, turn it off." Yeah, yeah. Um, another kind of seamless, seamless kind of movement through the different fucks of June. Yeah. <laughs> Contrasted with Serena and Fred having their <laughs> having their epic brawl. You are such a fucking idiot. Fuck! When did you become such a bitch? Back to the actual birth. Um, it's funny because when um, Moira gave birth a few episodes ago, we made note about that baby looked about three months old. Yeah. This baby really looked brand new. Yeah. And I noted that they made a point to still have the umbilical cord on, which was also nice. But back on the sound, you actually heard the baby come out. Mm. Like, wow. Yeah. wow. <laughs> like, no detail has been overlooked here. Who was the Foley person on that? Right? <laughs> um, and the sound of the baby as well. It sort of makes it was, a strange noise. It's, it sounds were, like a raptor. I, was, no, I, I thought there were very realistic newborn baby sounds. Like it sort of, like it just took me right back. I just went, oh, yeah, you, you do sort of forget. But like, you know, newborns just have that very particular little noises they make. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I thought, oh, they actually got that. Like they, mm. yeah, they just did it so well in a way that you don't normally see on TV. And so I sort of appreciated all of it. Meanwhile, of course, I was <laughs> crying my eyes out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. This show. Uh, um. <laughs> also, one other consideration for what may happen next week is another detail of birth that's often left out in TV depictions <laughs> is uh, 
the birthing of the placenta. Once the baby comes out, there's a... Yeah, that's going to take some time. So it's not the end of the labor. And uh, there's cars arriving and uh, there's yeah, still a placenta gosh. to come out. And I'll be <laughs> well, interested to see how that goes I down. I that won't be the subtitle <laughs> of episode 12. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the, the uh, realism is going to leave. <laughs> that'll be the gold standard of TV depictions of birth if we see that, I think. I am pretty sure in Gilead they would actually, you know, sort of bury it under a tree or something. Or, or, There'll you be know, a ceremony for it, don't or worry. Like, or like... Perhaps Lydia's going to put it in a juice or something, whatever whatever they do these days. All right, then. <laughs> you can't say we leave any stone unturned here. Look, thank you so much for listening. And I want to thank my co-hosts, Natalie and Haiti. This was a, this was a unique was, one. Yeah, it was such a great episode. It was a pleasure. It was, yeah. And thank you for listening. We love hearing your comments about this series and about our podcast. So uh, do hit us up on Twitter if you've got some other theories about what went on in this one and where we're going next. You can find me on Twitter at anything but Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hamblin. And Haiti, you give you give social media a bit of a steer, so that's fine. Good on you. Yes, well played. And feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want some more coverage of The Handmaid's Tale, head to SBS Guide at sbs.com.au slash guide, where I do some episode recaps, and you can also find recommendations for other things to watch as you await the next episode. And new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale premiere at SBS On Demand every Thursday afternoon and on SBS television at 8.30pm on Thursdays, where we are back to regular schedule programming from now. Eyes on Gilead is produced by Dan Barrett and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take your dirty bill and sneak your knife off me. I bet doctors get the best drugs. You had like three epidurals, didn't you? Oh, I was unmedicated. I wanted to know what it feels like. Seriously? Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.